My name is Ashley Sebula, and welcome to the Through Every Season podcast, where we discuss what it's like to be a Christian woman in modern day society. We will dive into the truth, trials, and tribulations that come with having a faith. You're never alone here, and we will help you walk through every season. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Through Every Season podcast, episode two. And you're in for a good one today because we have our very first guest. And before I tell you about our very first guest for today, as well as the episode, I wanted to take the time to thank you to everyone who listened, shared, and gave support for the first episode of the podcast. Our episode today will feature. Annalise Denae. Annalise Denae is a 32-year-old Georgia native. She's the author of the poetry book, To the Woman Who, an ovarian cancer survivor, a Christian woman, and someone who is not afraid to talk about hard topics. This episode will discuss Annalise's cancer story, how God spared her life, and how her former church leadership and community responded to her miracle. Let's dive right in. Well, hello, hello, Annalise. It has been months coming for you to come on the podcast and share your story. So how are you feeling today? Hello, I am. It's surreal. I'm feeling the weight of it. I'm very excited and just honored that you asked me months ago to share my cancer story. So thank you for having me. And I'm just looking forward to see what the Lord does. No, I love that. I love that. And, and honestly, when I, when I had reached out to you over Instagram, I just kind of felt like it was God saying, well, you just need to ask her if she'll come on. So that's exactly what I did. And I just followed suit with him. And then lo and behold, we're here today. So it just all kind of ended up working out, but it was definitely like God, you know, being like the orchestrator, like the puppet master, you know, in the background. Yes. And it's so crazy because, you know, I have been in a season at the time where the Lord had just continued to bring about these little nuggets of like, hey, share your testimony or just kind of hitting me with those bullet points in the most random places. So when you ask me, you asked me the timing, which is perfect. It's funny how that works, right? (laughs) (laughs) It can only be the Lord, huh? That that is right. So I like to start off the podcast with, with drink, drink of the day. Mm-hmm. I have drinks of the day. So I have, I have two drinks over here, but I'll have you kind of talk about what you're drinking over there. <laughs> my drink is not as interesting as yours. <laughs> my, I had coffee earlier, but my current drink at the moment is a glass of water. <laughs> you know what? That's probably the best thing <laughs> that you could drink. <laughs> is water, you know, re- replenishing your replenishing your soul and also your your hydration. So, um to everybody listening, drink your water today. Drink your water and tell us what you got over there. <laughs> so, I got two drinks. So, my first drink is I have um I have water and I have mango electrolytes in the water. So, for everybody that is on TikTok, which I, I know, 
I know everybody who listens here is not on TikTok. So when I talk about TikTok, you might roll your eyes and be like, here she goes talking about the internet, things that I don't know about. But <laughs> if you if you're a TikTok person, if you're a TikTok girly, etc. So there is this viral girl on on TikTok. She's like Tiffany, I don't remember her last name, but she is the cottage cheese and mustard lady. <laughs> So I'm on cottage cheese and mustard TikTok. All right. That's like my for you page. And she eats like cottage cheese and mustard. And then she has a chicken sausage. And then she has like the the veggies and the fruit. Okay. And then, I mean, she doesn't dip like the fruit in, in cottage cheese and mustard, but she dips like the veggies and the chicken sausage. And she posts like three times a day her eating these meals and she's, and she's gone viral. So now like, everybody's eating like cottage cheese and mustard like I am (laughs) there's no way it's good (laughs) it's not bad okay it's not bad it's it's better it's better than you think it is especially with like the chicken sausage and then I got into like hearts of palm which is kind of just like a fancy artichoke but with all that with all that what it leads to is this girl has a, a supplement company where she has like electrolytes, like collagen creamers. She might have pre-workout too, but her electrolytes, she drinks her electrolytes with like two of the three of the meals that she has. So the electrolytes are her electrolytes from her business. So that is, that's one of my drinks. And then I also have, because um, I do love Diet Coke. I have Diet Coke. I'm aware it's probably worse for you than regular Coke. It's got aspartame. I think there's like stuff out there that like it causes cancer, but you know, the Lord's going to take me when he's going to take me. So um, I'm going to at least have have my Diet Coke, even though I'm a public health girly. Okay. I'm going to have my Diet Coke. So I have, I have both of those here today with me. So yeah, those are our, our drinks of the day today. Yours are more interesting than mine. You win. <laughs> it's not a competition, but <laughs> <laughs> I came strong with my drinks today. I came strong with my drinks today. Tune in next month to see again, see what I am drinking. But so getting to kind of the bread and the butter, the meat and the potatoes of why we're gathered here today. Um, You have just a fantastic story that has so many different just layers and and turns involved. And of course, I know we're going to dive into all of that today. And you're kind of going to explain your story from all of these different angles and all of these different turns and twists that are involved in your story. But of course, before we kind of get into into your story or into your testimony, there's always a precursor or there's always like the story before. So I know when we talked previously back in, had it been like April, April of this past year, when you had told me your entire story, part of it was kind of talking about, again, the before So prior to everything that we're going to discuss, I had went to college for dance. I was extremely fit, super athletic. I mean, I would go run for miles and miles. Um, Just 
a, a healthy person in essence. Um, and so I had a dance degree. I wanted to be a professional dancer um, in Atlanta, but of course, you know, God always has other plans. And so initially it's, it's so shocking. I was as fit as I could be. And then in a moment, everything changed. So, so there was, it, it was the summer of 2017. I was working out and I literally was on my back doing some type of like ab thing. Um, probably like crunches or something like that. I don't know, something I did in college. Um, and I had noticed as I was kind of up a little bit off my feet, uh, laying on my back, I noticed out of my stomach, like there was like a lump on one side. And initially when I saw it, I was just like, what in the world is this? Like this, you know, this can't be, I was shocked. And of course I was in denial and I'm thinking like, is this fat? And I noticed that, you know, no matter what I did, it kind of like moved side to side. So it wasn't just like, um, in one singular position, like it was, it moved side to side. So I'm like, well, there's something here. And again, denial and shock just kind of goes in to play. And I just kind of live in that denial and shock. But after that, I would like take a shower. I kind of feel around my abdomen, like stomach, and I'd feel that it's there. Like I couldn't see it like protruding out, but I could feel that something was there. And I pretty much would just pray over my womb um, and just pray over, you know, just my body, women's health, all that stuff. And um, you know, growing up, I had bad periods and there was a, a long period of my life where I was on birth control for a while. And it's so crazy because in college, I never had any period issues to graduate in 2016 and then have this lump appear in 2017. Again, was a shock, but I wasn't connecting anything. And then after that, um, just like praying over my body and, um, you know, believing God's best, what we all do. Um, out of that place, it was just like suddenly, you know, my period cramps were remotely nothing. And then all of a sudden they're unbearable, which is what I had experienced in high school, earlier ages. And that's what birth control had fixed. And so I wasn't on birth control at the time. And so my periods were bad and, you know, just would take like as much ibuprofen as I could to kind of knock out the cramps. So at the time I actually didn't have insurance and I didn't have like a primary care doctor. And mm -hmm. so, you know, this being the summer discovering the mass and then kind of just like praying over myself. Um, I was heavily involved in church at the time. And so I just believed that God would, you know, heal me. Um, I never thought it was like a big picture issue. Um, I just, you know, was shocked, but I figured, you know, nothing's impossible for God. I didn't think that you know, it would become what it did. And so um, I discovered it in the summer of 2017. And then in mm -hmm. the fall of 2017, I did an internship at the House of Prayer. And it was in that internship that pretty much, I can't even tell you the time frame, but it was just exponentially, like it was sudden, like the mass began to grow and my stomach began to like grow with it. And mm -hmm. so I just remember this so clearly one day I was in the prayer room, there had to be like a, a prayer set that I was at in the internship that I was required to be a part of. Um, and I was walking in the back, just, you know, like prayer walking and my leg, my left leg swelled up 
suddenly. And I remember just like, it was kind of like tingling and it's just like very awkward. And I'm like, how can this be? I'm literally in a room praying. <laughs> I'm in church. Like, how am I, you know, how is, what is the happening? How is this happening? How is this even possible? And so I just, you know, remember kind of like going to the back and sitting down and telling this lady that was um, involved in my internship and had her pray for me and showed her my leg and it was clearly swollen. Um, and then she prayed and I pretty much just kind of kept going. And then I think, you know, the meeting ended and kind of fear set in. I'm like, clearly something is wrong because why is something swelling up? You know, inflammation is an indication of, okay, there's a problem. And so that night, because I had lived in like um, community housing with all the other intern girls, I had one of my friends and she took me to the hospital and I had seen this, you know, just a typical ER doctor who came in the room and I'm like, hey, I have this like mass in my stomach and it's causing my leg to swell. And I remember him just being like, I don't know why your leg is swelling. You know, he wasn't like thinking things were connected. And so he had pressed down on my stomach and the mass moved like literally from right to left. And so he pretty much just said, there was like no blood work. There was no test. He literally was like, this is a, this is a fibroid and you just need to see an OBGYN doctor. And so of course I'm in an internship. I don't have insurance. I don't have money. <laughs> I'm sitting in the prayer room before the Lord. So I had trusted the Lord, you know, to provide for that. And he did. I found a doctor in um, Georgia and she, you know, I went to see her my stomach at the time that I went, because again, everything just grew exponentially. Suddenly, like I'm talking about overnight fast. My stomach was like the size of a basketball. She had said that to me and she pretty much uh, did an ultrasound and confirmed it is a fibroid. And it was so big that she was like, it needs to shrink in order to be removed. And so she wanted me to get on these shots called Lupron, which basically would put my uterus ovaries into basically like menopause kind of like shut my womb down so that it would stop growing or it would in essence I guess shrink and so that was the plan but again I'm an internship ain't got no insurance I have no money <laughs> I'm living for the Lord and serving him and I laid down everything that I was doing to do that internship and so um, I remember getting the paperwork to kind of like try to get the shots and it just pretty much did, didn't work out. And so she had told me the only way for this to be removed is it needs to shrink. And so right there, I needed a miracle. And the only thing she did for me was give me a strong prescription of ibuprofen, which helped me with those very unbearable cramps. Oh, wow. And I, I'm sure the shots were probably like $1 million like per shot. <laughs> <laughs> or you would have just had to like sell other organs just to get, mm -hmm. get the shot to save save the organ that you were trying to save. So yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that is not having insurance and then having to have kind of those interventions or even sometimes preventions is so hard in the United States because things cost so much sometimes even like with insurance. So I'm sure that that was a really like hard decision 
to make because like you have your health, but then you also had like this way that you were serving God too. So I'm sure like to some extent you kind of, kind of felt pulled in each direction. And yes, you know, at that time, and I'm still that woman, I was very radical. I'm like, I mean, the lady told me this, there's nothing I can do about this. You, you know, she didn't say you needed a miracle, but when there's nothing that they can do, that's, you know, you need a miracle. And so I believed that God would do it now. Um, with everything that was happening inside of me, it did not prevent me from further serving the Lord. Um, my stomach grew and grew and I went on to become a missionary. I spent my days in the house of prayer from, um, from that diagnosis, you know, and, um, I went overseas, uh, you know, I went overseas in 2020. I went to Dubai. The Lord told me to go to the middle East and he sent me. And even in Dubai, I thought, you know, I, I literally thought that I was healed because a lot of girls say you go overseas and your period changes. And I believe that that would happen for me. Um, and so we go from 2017 to 2020. So 2017, like I said, my stomach had grew. Um, I go to Dubai. That was pretty rough because COVID hit right when I went. And <laughs> that was the hardest trip of my life. But physically, um, concerning my female anatomy, I thought that things were better. Now I did in fact get COVID in Dubai. I never got tested for it, but I knew it was COVID because I got very sick. Um, and I guess, you know, another thing I'll say is when I was in Dubai, I remember just feeling tired all the time um, to the point to where it's like, I remember I purposely packed a ton of vitamins to bring with me. And, you know, I had a busy schedule there. Um, concerning being a missionary, but no amount of rest felt like rest. And so that was something that I had noticed. Um, and so I got very sick at the beginning of the trip and that lasted a while. And then I just didn't feel rested. But concerning my womb, I was like, I'm good. You know, <laughs> I don't even think over there that I, I don't recall having a period. I don't think I did. Oh, wow. And it, it, it's crazy. Like you went to Dubai, like overseas and had that experience. And it was like, wham, bam, COVID, how are you doing? Um, <laughs> prior to that, uh, I mean, was this like your first experience, like being out of the country too? That actually was my first time going what out of the country. <laughs> it was what not, I mean, ooh, it was more like the wilderness. It was rough. <laughs> it was, it was really difficult. Oh gosh. And to backtrack a little bit, I know some people that, that are tuning in, they, um, they're either newer Christians or they're, they're Christian that maybe they, they don't know a lot of like the Christian lingo. Could you explain mm -hmm. a little bit about what like a missionary is and like what you were doing as a missionary? So I was involved in a house of prayer, which is a place where um, it's the one that I was a part of is open 24 seven. And basically there's always someone leading worship. It's just a place to come in and experience the Lord morning, noon, night, and just basically, um, yeah, just worshiping the Lord. Now, you know, getting involved in that church culture, there's prayer meetings and just things like that. 
to be a part of, like I didn't sing or, you know, sometimes I would just like pray on the mic, but nothing really special. Um, and while I was there doing the internship, I felt like the Lord, I mean, he did. He's like, you're going overseas. Gave me the dreams. Boom. It's terrified. Went. And so going overseas, um, basically, it's kind of the same lifestyle in America, just overseas. And so, yeah, missionaries, in essence, are preaching the gospel. <laughs> it's like making Jesus known in the earth in the nations is what I would say a missionary is bringing Jesus to the nations. So at that time coming home, it, we pretty much came home because our flights were, we were going to get stuck. If we didn't leave the day that we left, we would have been stuck. And so pretty much everything was shutting down um, in America, at least I was privy to now, when I was there, I wasn't like watching the news and seeing what was going on, kind of just carrying on business as usual. Like I came here for this mission. This is what we're going to do. Um, and so coming back to the States was a bit traumatic because I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I remember when I got super sick in Dubai, I had a fever of like 102. I go to the doctor, you know, I had the cough. I could not catch my breath. I'm somebody with mild exercise induced asthma. So I was very ill. But because of what I was doing and where I was, it was like, I didn't want to be diagnosed with COVID. It seemed to be like this terrifying thing that you're going to die from. Um, and though I felt like I was dying, like I was very sick. And so coming back to the States, you know, I had that righteous mindset, like y'all are just scared and, oh, America, you know, <laughs> like, what are we doing? Um, and uh, I guess it was just shocking so my whole world kind of shut down like everybody else's. Um, and, you know, again, just the shock of like, what is going on? It just went from doing this to now they're telling me the state of Georgia is pretty much going to be shut down. And I remember coming back because I had lost my SIM card. So I like literally went to the T-Mobile store. That's the, the company I had at the time. I went in the nick of time to get a new SIM card. And then the next day it was like, nothing's open. <laughs> so I would say it was pretty traumatic. Like just, you know, coming back from, oh, I did all this for the Lord. And I, I really didn't do anything special, y'all. Um, <laughs> but coming back was was just confusing, confusing. And I'm sure so many other people were feeling what I was feeling to a different degree. So with, with COVID and in Georgia kind of, kind of shutting down, how did that affect your role at the, at the, it's a house of prayer, house of worship, house of prayer, <laughs> house of prayer. How did that affect your role at the house of prayer or even like operations at the house of prayer, if they were affected at all? Um, yeah, everybody was definitely affected. You know, initially I had this invitation to like join a team and like commit to going somewhere for a couple of years. But, and you know, you're kind of supposed to like figure that out, you know, either before your trip ends or like right when you come back, maybe two weeks after you come back. So of course we came back and the, the state shut down. So it's like, I don't think I can go anywhere, you know? And, you know, I was willing, but I couldn't really hear the word at the time. And so just kind of like the rest of the world was shut down the house of prayer was shut down too. Everything was shut down. We would have like Zoom meetings <laughs> and meet. And then eventually um, we were able to kind of like, you know, slowly but surely sit in the prayer room 
a little bit earlier than other places opening up. But um, I just decided like, I'm not gonna move forward with this organization in terms of the mission aspect. And so, yeah, I mean, there was, there was nothing else for me to do. I'm like, I can't go anywhere. The world shut down. So this, you know, I'm at a standstill. I'm, I'm stagnant. <laughs> And what was kind of going on with with your health after coming back from Dubai and then being in the United States? What did that look like? I'd say 2020, my stomach continued to grow. And I remember a few months after coming back, because I remember I got these jeans at Zara that I loved in Dubai. And I was wearing them in my um, the side of my house, like dancing around, like doing a, a, a little improv dance to Maverick City. And I guess going forward, like I could see, you know, again, in Dubai, I thought I was healed. There was, you know, I felt skinny over there, if anything. <laughs> um, but coming back, my stomach grew more and I felt I had this, like, I looked pregnant. I had like a pregnancy complex. Like I felt like I looked pregnant and it was very shameful. Um, I went from dressing super cute to t-shirts, like just wearing oversized t-shirts to kind of hide what was shameful to me because I didn't want anyone to think like she's pregnant and then kind of have this, you know, I worked in a church. So I didn't want people to be judgmental. Like, how is she pregnant? If she's single and, you know, clearly not doing nothing, <laughs> but <laughs> you know how people be thinking, and so it was like, if I can see it, I know other people could see it. And so, you know, still just tired all the time. But again, there was just this, the spirit of the Lord on me to just kind of keep being active in him. But that was the trajectory. It's like, I'm feeling this cloud of shame. I'm ashamed. I look pregnant. I got to hide this. Um and it just got to a point to where just even up into 2021, I don't want to leave my house because I look pregnant. I don't want to go to the pool because I look pregnant. But again, I would do those things. And I, you know, there's times I would like ask some of my close friends, like, do I look pregnant? Of course they would tell me no. Um, but I always thought they were just being nice. And I remember, I can't remember when my friend, one of my close friends had got married and I didn't even, I was supposed to be in her wedding but because I was not comfortable wearing the dress, I was like, I just cannot ruin your wedding pictures. Like, that's how bad it was for me mentally. But you would never know because I would be in the prayer room on the front lines dancing around. Um, you would just never know looking at me what was what I was battling internally. So I know when we had talked previously you said that there was one Sunday morning in particular and that kind of like changed your world. Like your world kind of turned upside down and it kind of started, it happened like on one particular Sunday morning, actually, as you were getting ready to go to church. Can you talk about that day and what that was like for you? Yes. So this is March 14th, 2021. I was scheduled to dance at church just like any other um Sunday of the prophetic dance team like rotation and so basically what I mean by dancing 
at church. I mean, dancing during worship on the stage, like prophetically just dancing before the Lord. And I had actually just danced the week before. So two weeks before this, I had COVID. This is the end of February. I had COVID and right after COVID, I was scheduled to dance. So I danced at church. Um, now this particular Sunday, March 14th, I was struggling the night before with, again, getting dressed, just feeling like, oh, my stomach is so huge. Me and my friend have had the same outfits planned out to wear, like these high neck shirts and, you know, dance pants. And so it's a little more personal. <laughs> um, and I was just, I remember like throwing clothes around my room, just being so angry and so ashamed and just so like distraught, like, how is this even my life, Lord? And yeah, I'm going to dance before you. And so that morning of, I woke up, I was supposed to make coffee for my friend and I, and I walked downstairs. It's had to be like 637, preparing the coffee. And my mom was like preparing her own coffee and standing next to me in her robe, half sleep. And I just remember all of a sudden this like boom went off in my abdomen and I just, I had told my mom like, ow, my side hurts. And it was just like, after that pain set in, like it did not just go away. And so I had kind of paused at the counter, but I just continued, you know, just survival mode, I guess, moved on. Like I'm going to make our coffee. And I went upstairs to my room and I just remember being so perplexed. Like I sat down in this green velvet chair that I had and I just was staring off into space like what in the world like perplexed as Paul would say <laughs> and um I sat there and I text my friend I said hey I just need more time because my side is hurting so don't come over here yet to get me <laughs> and um after that I just I had took some tums I went to the bathroom and then I got ready and she arrived and I went outside and kind of struggled down the driveway, got in her car and on the way to church because it was like 13 minutes from my house. So on the way, I was I had a moment where I felt like I was going to throw up. And I said, I think I need to go to the ER. I feel nauseous, like my side is hurting. And she, too, was a missionary. And prior to being a missionary, she used to be a nurse. So she was like, hey, you know, when we get to the church parking lot, like when we get inside, I'll investigate and like see what's going on because I was convinced that it was my appendix so I'm like it's the right side I'm nauseous this is like hello google diagnosis <laughs> um and so when we got in you know I laid out on some chairs and she was feeling around but because that fibroid again was so big it was just hard to know what was what so we're scheduled to dance and she's all warming up and I'm hunched over a chair in agony that's that's really the word that I'll use probably a lot. <laughs> Hunched over the chair, just like in pain. And she had prayed for me at one point. I felt like a moment of relief. I felt like, you know, I could dance. Sure, I'll dance. And then we had like our debriefing of like what was going to take place in the service. And I remember during that time, I like was not even paying attention. I almost kind of like was just blacking out mentally because I was in such agony. And after that was done and over with, I don't even know what was said, like what to expect and what to pray for. I wasn't mentally there. So I decided, you know, I cannot dance. And at the time I was dressed in my dance clothes. And so I had 
gathered my street clothes and I was like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom and change. And for whatever reason, you know, I could have exited to the back of the sanctuary and went out to the bathroom, but I went like down past the stage around to the offices. So I cannot, this, I mean, this had to be the Lord because I would never just go knock on the pastor's door for anything, but I go knock on the pastor's office and I, he didn't like open the door. I opened the door and he's sitting in his chair and I just said, I don't know what the Lord wants to do today, but the devil's trying to kill me. My side hurts. And I'm pretty sure I added in, like, I think he wants to heal, but I definitely was saying the devil's trying to kill me. And he didn't say anything. He just looked at me. And in that moment, I just closed the door and walked on to the bathroom like I was doing. And in the bathroom, I just remember beating myself up. Like, why did you say that? That was so stupid. You're an idiot. Da, da, da. While I'm struggling to get dressed because I'm in pain. And so I didn't think anything of that. I just kind of was like, you know what? Moving on. So I got inside the sanctuary and church had started, like service started. And I went to my seat and my friend was on the stage and this same pastor, um, he comes over to me and he's like, you're dancing, right? And I said, no, I'm in agony. And he did a quick little prayer for me. And, you know, he was like, the Lord still wants you to dance. And so I didn't say anything. I just was like, well, okay, in my head. And so I, mind you, I'm in my street clothes. I walked up on stage and I joined my friend and I just immediately started dancing upon getting on the stage. And while I was up there, the worship team had began to prophetically sing about how Jesus heals diseases. And yeah, it was just about healing. And so by the grace of God, I danced to about four songs and the whole time I'm in pain. And there was a moment where the worship team had kind of like slowed and the pastor comes out, the same pastor, and he's giving words of knowledge for what he felt like the Lord wanted to heal. And mind you, I'm, I'm up there in agony. And so he does all that and then comes to me and he's like, how is it? And I said, I'm, uh, it's, I'm still in agony. And he prays for me really quick and he's like, keep going. So I kind of just kind of like dance to whatever else the worship team sang antiphonally, prophetically. And then that was it. And so when that was all done, I walked off stage and like laid on my back and had some people run over to me like, are you okay? And I was just like, no. And for the remainder of service, I like sat in front of my chair on the floor. <laughs> and I will say I text my mom, which I had never done this before either. But I said, pray in tongues right now. And then you know, I sat through service. I don't know how, I don't know what they preached about, but um, then my mom had came to get me and we left. Oh, wow. So I imagine that that was not the church service that you were expecting when you had woke up that morning. So what kind of happened after you left church. What did it look like for you with how you were feeling? So when I left church, my mom had come to get me and 
I went home. I was in agony. I was trying to tell her, like, I'm in pain and I don't know what this is. And I think it's my appendix. And we had just decided to go to like Reagan Medical, which is like a little medical center, kind of like urgent care. And so I went there and, you know, this is during the COVID time. So you got to wait outside in your car and get a text to come in and all these precautions. And it felt like I was waiting forever. And then they got to me and I went inside. I saw this old man and told him what was going on. And I pretty much said, I think it's my appendix. And, you know, he looked at my belly. I had the fibroid. And so he couldn't really tell what was what, but he believed me when I said it was my appendix and was kind of going along with that diagnosis. And so he had just prescribed me Keflex, which is an antibiotic. And basically he was saying, you know, if it's your appendix and it burst, if your appendix burst, go to the ER and they'll take it out. And so after that, I just went home, got the Keflex. I think I took like one of them. And I remember my family was like eating dinner and I was sitting at the bar, just kind of watching them have fun and play games, eat dinner. And we had like steak and French fries for dinner that night. And I think I ate like one fry and I ran to the bathroom and I was, I was throwing up. And then that's when I knew like, I need to go to the hospital right now. And so I went to the hospital and I'm telling them like, it's my appendix. I went to Reagan medical. They gave me this Keflex and they, this, the nurse practitioner was like, you do not treat this with this. And she threw the pills away and she's like, don't ever go there again. <laughs> and so <laughs> the shade, <laughs> right. And so I'm like, it's my appendix. And, you know, again, I told them I had the fibroid, like I was telling everybody and they, they had me get a CT scan where they were just looking to see what was going on. And so by this time, it's, it's also like the middle of the night. And so I was waiting in my little wing and they had gave me some morphine. And I remember the morphine like didn't even touch the pain. I just remember being super cold and just in pain. And um, the nurse practitioner came back to me and she was like, it's not your appendix. And so I just remember being shocked, not knowing obviously what she was about to say, but she said, there's a four centimeter cyst on your right ovary. And I immediately was disappointed and, and upset, but calm and quiet because I got morphine in my system. But it was shocking because I had the issue of blood. I had this big fibroid that God couldn't even deal with. And I'm like, now how do I have this? And so I was sent home with prescriptions of 600 millimeter I, uh, milligrams of ibuprofen. Zofran for nausea mm -hmm. and hydrocodone for pain. Mm -hmm. And so I never got to explain to her that I don't even, my stomach doesn't do well with hydrocodone. Like it just makes me throw up basically. Yeah. So I went on home and I did not have the prescriptions because it's like the middle of the night. So I had to wait <laughs> until the next day to get them. And I just went home, took a melatonin and I went to sleep. I would not recommend taking a melatonin after morphine. I don't know what I wasn't <laughs> even thinking. I just was like, pretty much when I got home and got in bed, I was still in pain. Like mm -hmm. that's for you to see, like that morphine did nothing. And so it was the Lord that allowed me to sleep and wake mm -hmm. up. And I woke up and I'm like, texting my mom, like, where's the medicine? She was like, I'm at work on, I'm at work. And so I was, she was like, I could bring it on my lunch break or this evening. And I said, I'm not going to make it. Like, I don't think I'll make it that long. 
And so she had rushed to go get the medicine, brought it to me, and um, I had ordered myself something to eat on, like, you know, Grubhub or something. <laughs> I got a sushi bowl, and I knew I needed to eat to keep the medicine down. And so I took the ibuprofen first, and then I took the Zofran, which was mm -hmm. for um, the nausea, and then I took the hydrocodone because I had the food in my system. Yeah. And so immediately ran to the toilet to throw up and so I'm like okay now there's a problem because I can't keep the medicine down and so I called the pharmacist I'm like freaking out I just threw up Zofran and he's like how this is what they give chemo patients and mm -hmm. I'm like I don't know <laughs> but I'm in pain <laughs> and um he pretty much said you know you can take ibuprofen and Tylenol together to manage the pain but I was in so much pain I didn't even know if we had Tylenol. I didn't even care. I just stayed in the bed all day in pain. You've tried to take these medicines. <laughs> You're throwing them up and the sushi bowl. What yep. kind of happened after that? So that day is really a blur. Like I said, I, I just stayed in my bed pretty much the whole day. I don't remember getting up, going to the bathroom. But that night, my mom had come to me around like seven and I'm telling her, we got to, we got to figure out, you know, we're calling the hospital to see if I could get more medicine. And they're like, no, you got to come back in and be seen. And because I had already knew what they told me was wrong, because basically they told me you have this cyst, it'll burst. You'll be fine. I forgot to say that, that, and so that's what I essentially, I thought I was waiting on, waiting on the cyst to burst mm -hmm. so that I'll be okay. And so I didn't want to go back to be seen when I'm like, they already told me what it is the night before. And, um, so my mom had made me a smoothie so to try to see if I could keep the codeine down because that is the pain med. And yeah. I remember I had to be like 10, 11. Well, I was able to go to sleep. I took like a four hour nap. I woke up at a little bit after 2 a.m. And it was like my abdomen. It was like a bomb went off. And I was leaning over my pillow, just crying out to God. And I was just like, I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do. And I didn't hear the Lord say anything. I just got up, got dressed, <laughs> brushed my teeth, <laughs> knocked on my mom's door. And I said, I need to go back to the hospital. So I go back to the hospital and they saw me fairly quickly. This is now March 16th, 2021, middle of the night. Um, I told them I was just here. This is what happened. They do emergency ultrasound mm -hmm. on my right ovary. And it was unbearable like I'm shaking I'm nauseous I'm throwing up in the midst of it the lady's like you need to be very still so I can see what's going on and you know my body what was happening was just really uncontrollable and mm -hmm. so they get the they get all the images they need and then the nurse comes to me and she's like you might lose your ovary so I'm thinking wow. she's joking this escalated quick and she said, you have an ovarian torsion. That means your ovary wrapped around itself oh. and died. And so she's like, that's the pain you're feeling. It pretty much like died. And she told me that the doctor would like try to save it or whatever. And so this emergency surgeon comes in, this woman, and um, she's like, I'm going to do this, this and that, da, 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 like acting like this expert. And I said, okay, what about the fibroid? Did they tell you I had a fibroid? And she's like, no, they didn't tell me anything. 
And I said, I can show you. So I showed her, I pulled up my gown, showed her my stomach. And she was like, why wasn't this taken care of? This is top five in my career. And I said, ma'am, I'm a Christian. I was believing Jesus to heal me. And so of course, doctor don't want to hear that. <laughs> She's just yeah. like, well, we got to take, she's like, well, she was then saying, you know, fibroid is my middle name. And again, da, 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 just seeming like she could take care of it. So I'm thinking everything is going to be taken care of. And I'm rolled into the operating room and I'm in pain. They had gave me some morphine and um, some Zofran through an IV. Mm-hmm. And the Zofran worked, but the, the morphine did nothing. And I'm in the OR and I'm just like, I felt myself kind of like, you know, they stretch you out kind of like you're on the cross, like your legs are straight, your arms are out. And I just remember being like, oh, like kind of like moaning. And the lady who was tending to me was like calling for her people to hurry up. They're like, guys, hurry, you know? And she was like, I'm about to get you some fentanyl. And Mm -hmm. next thing I know, I'm asleep. (laughs) And I woke (laughs) up and they're saying they got it. And, you know, I didn't have my contacts in. But I saw this container with like a huge, like softball sized. And I, I assumed that was my ovary, oh. a big ball. And I remember just being like, you know, did y'all get the fibroid? And that kind of became a confusing thing. Someone said yes, someone said no. So I'm thinking, oh, my stomach feels flat. Everything's, I'm good. Like it's finally over. And then when I rolled into my room, I was in the COVID ward because it was still in my system. When I was there, that's when one of the nurses was like, no, they only did this. And so I learned that the doctor eventually called me and told me, you know, the blood vessels on the fibroid were like the size of my hand. And so pretty much she said in a nice way, if I would have cut that, you would have lost this amount of blood. I would have died pretty much. And so I'm in recovery and I don't know what's going on. And I wasn't even worried. I just was like, yeah, my side doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. I had um, a big bandage on my abdomen, so it wasn't like robotic surgery. This was by hand. I had a bunch of staples. Um, and on the 18th, March 18th, I just remember being on the phone with my mom, just talking to her, kind of just ready to go home. <laughs> and the doctor, had the woman who removed my ovary came in and she was like, do you want to call her back? And I'm like, Sure. I'm, you know, I'm in a chipper mood. I mean, I literally was just ready to go. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking anything. I wasn't concerned about anything. And she says, basically, they biopsied the ovary and you have a rare type of ovarian cancer. And I was like, she said, it's granulosa cell, which is germ cell cancer, which they don't usually find in an ovary. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have it or you got it. And she pretty much was like, you need to see a specialist and see what stage it is. And that's kind of when, you know, the situation definitely changed. Um, but I, f- I didn't, f- you know, that fear kicked in. Like, I don't want to die. Um, I told, I text my mom and I text a couple people that were close to me, somebody from the church. And then they told that same pastor and, you know, he called me and everybody's like praying. And then I believe the next day I was, I was able to go home. So that was definitely scary because I'm in the COVID ward. I couldn't have any visitors. And then you're telling me the worst news that anyone could ever hear while they're in isolation. 
And I remember asking the doctor, like, could I have someone come up here? And she said, no, I'm sorry. After that, I, you know, I, I went home and recovered and she took my staples out within the week and actually there was an infection. And so when I, when she was taking the staples out, her and the nurse had noticed the infection on the incision site. And I just remember the doctor being like, how is this infected? I stapled this. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, but that fibroid obviously was aggravated. And so I think it just, again, it was bulging out. And so my stomach was huge and the staples weren't, they were big staples. I don't know, but it was crazy. And so they cleaned it. And then she put me on a antibiotic that was supposed to help with the infection. But while I was in her office, she had told me, I, the doctor, her name is Dr. Uh, Lisa Holcomb Newman. She said, I stayed on my couch for three days thinking about you. And she was like, had I done anything different, it would have dramatically changed the state of your health. And, you know, at the time I'm like, you're a part of a miracle. Like, mm-hmm. cause I'm believing like I'm good, you know? Um, sure. I still have the annoying fibroid in. And I remember being disappointed about that. I'm like, God, you did all of that. And you couldn't take care of this one big issue that had been an issue for four years from 2017 to 2021, I'm like, you couldn't take care of the biggest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, to hear a doctor say that, you know, cause she's like, I've done ovarian torsions like a million times, but never like that. And she said, the only reason she took my ovary out is because she didn't like how it looked. Mm -hmm. She didn't know that I had cancer. Nobody knew that there was cancer she took it out on a whim. She was going to cut it open and save it, like cut the cyst out and save the ovary. And so that right there is a miracle Mm -hmm. because she didn't go with her instinct. Like, you know, the Lord stayed her hand from doing what she normally does. She did Mm -hmm. something different. She said, I'm just, we're just going to pull it out. And so because of that test, you know, um, the biopsy, those results, she was, it affected her life greatly to where she was on her couch for three days. And do you know if this doctor was a Christian? I, it was kind of, I don't really know looking back. I mean, I definitely was like talking to the Lord about her. I mean, talking Mm -hmm. to her about the Lord, but she was never really receptive, but I could tell that that moment has shaken her up and that she recognizes that wasn't, you know, that wasn't her. Oh, wow. So yeah, no, regardless if she had a faith or if she was a Christian or not, I mean, clearly God was working through her, which just goes to show, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to do the Lord's work, you know, you yeah. can use anybody as a vessel. Right. And I mean, you know, and I'm in the worst pain of my life about to go into the operating room. And again, I'm telling her, like, I believe Jesus was going to heal me. And she, you know, didn't want to hear that, but who's talking like that when they're in agony? I'm like, the Lord was just resting on me in an unusual way. I've never experienced anything like that before. But I guess what was coming out is what I actually believe, Jesus, (laughs) I'm a Christian. And so that's what was coming out of my mouth at a time of great suffering. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so this was the doctor who who did the surgery, but this wasn't the oncologist, right? Right. Yeah. So 
so after that, you know, um, I was in recovery, you know, I was taking the Bactrim to try to clear out the infection and I had people from the church that I was involved in at the time coming to visit me, bringing me food, cards. The pastor had come to see me with his wife and I'm telling him this is a revival and I'm, I was really, you know, even though I had got the worst news of my life, you couldn't tell because people would come over and in my room, I'm preaching to them. And I'm like, this is what the Lord did. And I hadn't even seen my cancer doctor yet. I wasn't downcast. I wasn't crying. I wasn't distraught. Um, like I, all I can attest to is the, the power of God was resting on me in a unusual way that I had never experienced before. And so I had my first appointment with my oncologist and he is a, re- a well-respected man in his line of work. And I remember calling his office and they're telling me he's known as the miracle doctor here. And I'm like, that's great. Cause that's, that's what I need, you know, concerning the fibroid. <laughs> Sign me um, up for him. <laughs> okay. And when I went to see him, you know, he, you know, I went through so much with that, with my incision site in the midst of that, there's been like back and forth visits to the ER and for the infection and stuff like that. And, um, continuing to take the antibiotics and he's he wanted to look at the incision site he was like it's healing fine which is crazy um but he looked at that and then took me in his office and he kind of just walked through the paperwork with me of everything that happened and I was like you know what would have what would have happened if I didn't go back to the ER that night and he said you would have bled to death just casually and then he keeps going and I'm like everything changes for me from that point because you just feel the weight of it. Like, I, I don't know how I got out of my bed and said, I need to go back to the hospital, but I did. I mean, that was obviously the Lord, but you just don't expect to hear that. And so he told me it's like, like pretty much how, you know, the over torsion would be like a man's testicles being twisted and he's bleeding out. I never thought about that before. <laughs> he's telling me the cancer was just stage one. So stage one was about to kill me. And then he's like, you don't need chemo. (laughs) So I'm like, yay, I don't have to lose my hair. And at the time, he's like, you know, you can still have kids. You have the one ovary, da-da-da-da. And he just was pretty much telling me, like, get my blood count back up because I lost a lot of blood in that surgery before he could operate and do the next thing, which would be to remove that fibroid. Oh, wow. And kind of touching on the point of, you know, having your other ovary being said, you know what, like you want kids, you can still have them. Let's take care of your health and then you're good to go. Was having children something that you had always wanted for yourself up until that point? Um, Not initially. No, I think I had just maybe like months prior to all this happening, come to the point where it's like, okay, I'll be, I can be a mom. I can do this. Um, And so, yeah, like it wasn't something I was like little and dreamed about, but it was just something that I was like, okay, I can now do this and I'm willing to do this. And, you know, I, I thought I could. (laughs) And I've, I've heard, um, some stories from some other woman who, maybe they found out that they couldn't have kids because of fertility reasons 
even though having kids wasn't something that they necessarily saw for themselves, it was the fact that at that point they felt like they didn't have the choice and that bothered them too. So, I mean, even if you don't see children for yourself, being told, you know, if you can or can't have children as a woman, it still affects you. Yeah. And at the time, I think I was just in a great state of shock um, with the cancer and, okay, it's stage one, you don't need chemo, you know, and just trying to get through the trauma of that first surgery, you know, the aftermath of it, the infection, Um, because after I saw my doctor, I continued on healing, but the infection continued to spread and, um, uh, I ended up having to like go to the hospital for a fever. My fever just was like 99 that morning in bed as I rested. And then it kind of like mellowed out throughout the day. And then that night it's like 103. So I'm rushing to the hospital and I'm like, you know, thinking I'm gonna go right back home. And no, they're like, I'm sorry, we have to admit you (laughs) because you know, it became this battle between the physician and like the radiologist, because, you know, when you have a surgery, like I had getting my ovary out, you can't just get a vaginal ultrasound. They're not allowed to do that. And I remember the woman, it was the same woman who was looking at my ovary before I lost it. She's now in this position, helping me with the infection. And she's like, I don't want to do this. I don't feel comfortable. And she ended up doing it. And they determined that, I guess it was like, there was an infection in my abdomen and they were saying something about my, my left ovary. Like I can't remember all the language, but they were like, it seems like the same thing is happening. Or like there was a, there was a, an abscess on it. Yeah. That's what it was. And so they were again, treating me like a cancer patient (laughs) and they were like, we don't want to operate to drain it. So I had to stay in the hospital for five days and get antibiotics through an IV and um, that's when I was in room 418 and the Lord revealed to me the simple, beautiful scripture of Luke 418, <laughs> which says the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And so I didn't know anything about that verse. You know, I'm sitting in a room. I'm like, I'm in room 418. It dawns on me maybe like the third day I'm in there. Um, I never turn the TV on. I'm just looking at these tan walls, (laughs) look up and see my number. And I'm like 418. And, um, I just became aware of that verse. And that's something that just really struck me. Um, you know, what the Lord had done for me and I believe will do through me now. You know, what's crazy is the verse that you just read off. In my first episode, I I talked about that verse in my podcast. Yes, I remember. <laughs> yes, I was. I was like, yes, we're on the same page. Yes, we are. Look at so the powerful. Lord on that one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the craziest thing with that infection was it could have not become what it did, but that. Well, I guess the infection would have always been in my abdomen, but she did not want me to put neosporin on that wound. She was very much like, put a pad over it. I'm like, this is not World War II. Like I have an open wound. I don't want to go to sleep like this. And so it was a very distressing moment in time, you know, further suffering and just felt like, you know, just further trauma just in my health. And um, 
But again, I was in a special room (laughs) and the Lord met me again in the hospital. And so after that, you know, healing from that situation, I saw my doctor again and he wanted me to get an MRI to see how to operate on the fibroid. And um, I did that, which was pretty painful because I could not lay in that machine on my back. I felt like a a pregnant woman who's basically ready to have, you know, give birth. At that time, you know, the conversation became like, he saw where the fibroid was and told me how he could do it. Um, It wasn't like a bunch of fibroids, like some women have, like just, he showed me he took 250 out of a woman. Mine wasn't like that. It was one big one and it pretty much was in my womb. And so, you know, fibroids are very common in Black women, and they don't know why, and there's no cure. And so he was talking to me about that, and the type of cancer I have is rare, and pretty much the conversation was getting to hysterectomy. And because I had just been through so much trauma, and I just was just tired of it all, I was just like, just take it, just take it out, take the wound. And, you know, he he was a Christian man, a man of honor. He's like, I would not just take a woman's womb that doesn't need to be taken, but this just seemed to be best. And, and he said, you know, if I go in and I can save it, I'll try to, you know, just see. But um, June 8th, I ended up having a hysterectomy, a full hysterectomy. So afterwards, I learned that my left ovary was black and I mean, there was just a bunch of other stuff. I feel like my womb had every issue a womb could ever have. Um, I actually had endometriosis. You know, I had a couple periods after I lost my ovary of after not really having periods or thinking they were just light. They were bad. <laughs> they were painful. And so that brought an awareness to like why everything was so painful, just you know, even my periods when I saw that doctor in 2017. And so everything was just kind of like full circle. The womb was just not healthy. It was dead. If anything, it was dead. And so, you know, when I had my hysterectomy, I understand why medically it was just the best thing to do. And I don't think the trauma of that hit me until it took like a good year. Now, mind you, in between all of this, there's church people coming to visit me, talking to the pastor and letting them know, you know, everything. Um, Just even with the no longer having cancer, like I'm cancer free. I wanted to let everybody know, like who wouldn't want to testify. And in the midst of all this, there's, you know, nobody's responding the way that I'm responding. Like nobody was, I didn't feel like there was like such a level of excitement. Um, You know, of course, prior to losing my womb, um, people were supporting me and probably just shocked because it's super traumatic to hear about, but there's no cancer. So again, I was telling everybody what the Lord did. I wanted, I felt like I had a testimony and I, and I do. And I remember in the hospital, even after the doctor came with that negative report, I'd said to myself, I'm a testifier, like I have a testimony. So I lose the womb, but in spite of all of that, that did not prevent me from wanting to share. I get on a um, hormone replacement therapy, the lowest dose. My body did not do well on that. 
Yeah. Um, and, and to go back a little bit when you were kind of talking about the difference in treatment from pretty much when you had at least part of your womb to when you, when you didn't, or when you had your, your complete hysterectomy, do you think that people treated you differently because like you had a hysterectomy and, and you're so young and there was like a stigma associated with that? Or why do you think people treated you differently um, pretty much from having, having your womb to not? I, I think people just don't know how to deal with pain and people don't know how to respond to suffering especially if they've never experienced it, people go into their own shock and they just make things awkward. I think, I don't, I, I can't really say why, but I don't, it's unfortunate, I guess. I felt like, you know, when I lost my ovary initially and of course people are like, yay, you know, no more cancer, but I didn't feel like it was taken as serious like it could have been you know like I was dancing and dying and then <laughs> lost the ovary um I, I don't know maybe it's because it's just something that they had never seen before um but yeah I, I don't really know why I think maybe because I am young and I lost my womb and that's just hard for people to maybe they were disappointed with the Lord and kind of just projected that onto me is what I could say but though people came with cards and food they didn't I wouldn't say I saw the biblical like I'm gonna mourn with her I didn't feel like that happened now personally I I wouldn't say I grieved it until last year so it took me an, an actual year to really like feel the pain of the loss because I was in shock for like a year I know that people are people and you want to give them grace but it took me a while to kind of realize what I was experiencing, especially when it was like I wanted to testify in spite of. Um, I wasn't being met with that same energy and excitement of like, hey, this isn't, you know, I was in a church environment where we asked for revival, we asked for miracles, we asked for the Lord to heal cancer. And then it's like, now you have that testimony in front of you. Um, and there wasn't that, that reaction of, wow, God did this. And this is amazing. And, you know, in spite of, and so all of that is really complex and really did something to my mind. And like I said, it took me a while to just realize like what was actually going on. And in the midst of all these surgeries, there was, you know, meetings with the same pastor who I knocked on his office door and you know, he would listen to me and he wouldn't really like encourage me in the Lord and say like, you know, you think a pastor would be like Romans eight twenty eight, everything, you know, all things work together for the good. Never heard that, you know, he, he, he never encouraged me. Like you could still be a mother or just anything. He, he was a man of few words, but the words he did say were not all of them were damaging, but a good bit of them. Um, I felt like there was like this awkward power dynamic. There was a struggle and feeling understood, even though everything was extremely black and white. Um, I had 
it's kind of like without saying I wanted to testify. I didn't have to say it, but it just felt like, why is no one asking me to testify or even seeing my story as a testimony of the healing power of Jesus? And again, all these things are very complex. This was happening over time. It was definitely a buildup, but there was a moment in my uh, medical leave where I was watching the church I attended on TV in my room and somebody's wrist had gotten healed. And this had to be in the, I don't know if it was, it had to be the fall. Yes. <laughs> Early fall. Um, and, you know, it was like a, what instantaneous healing and they're called it miracle. And everybody became aware of it because it happened in worship and so they had a healing testimony and they shared it and they called it a miracle and I remember being stunned in my room just shocked and just kind of like okay so they do acknowledge miracles um and so then I began to like ask questions now the whole time again like I said there have been meetings here and there the pastor had always just been like I'm protecting you and Hmm. of course at the time I'm receiving that um because him and I weren't like he wasn't like a father figure or anything like that a mentor nothing like that um he was if anything giving me finances to keep me on staff yeah that's how I was there through all this at the time and so so he's saying I'm protecting you and of course you know you want to believe the best so you just kind of go along with it and again there's shock I'm in shock I went through a lot this is all fresh. Um, but when I, I will say the spirit was revealing things to me that were just plain as day that I was having to debate in question. And so when you hear, you see a miracle being celebrated, you're going to be like, okay, why isn't mine being celebrated? And so those are the questions that I had. And I remember, let's just say Halloween, I reached out to the pastor, um, And I was just like, hey, I have some questions about how my miracle is being handled. And he got pretty nasty with me. You know, he was annoyed texting me, trying to pass me off to someone else who had no involvement in it at the time. And I'm like, no, I need to talk to you. Like, it's you handling it. I'm meeting with you. Like, um, and so he ended up calling me and, you know, Uh, he was annoyed and he just was, he wasn't even coming from a place or trying to understand what I was saying. I mean, when I tell you it's shocking to even describe this, like he, he pretty much was just like, I'm protecting you. And yeah, I just remember being like, what do you think I got? He's like, you know, God did this, this and that. But, um, and I said, oh, that's it. I didn't even let him finish. I'm like, you don't think I got a miracle. I mean, not that I don't think that the cured wrist, it, you know, I, 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 I'm sure that person was really glad that their, that their wrist was, was healed, but like your life was saved and yeah, you you know, you were cured from cancer. You think, you know, not that I, I think pastors should do this, but you would think that they, if a church is all about miracles and like let's use the miracles of our congregation to show how the lord's working in this church you think that they'd be like Oop, somebody got cured from cancer that's gonna be a big one to talk on sunday 
Well, I guess, you know, and then too, he said to me, I'm not going to put you up there hurt. And and that was like a, a, a blow because it's like, the story's never not going to hurt, you know? I was yeah. up there dancing while I was hurt, you know? Exactly. Um, and what did he think that he was protecting you from per se? Because I know he was saying, you know, I, I'm protecting you, but what exactly did he think that he was protecting you from? Honestly, I never had questioned it until after the fact. I don't know. So I'm just... I, I don't know. I never thought to like, I just received it as protection. Cause again, you know, this is like somebody who is like a shepherd and I'm a little sheep and he's protecting me. You know, that's kind of, I guess how I viewed it and didn't even think further. Um, but I will say it definitely was offensive to be told. I'm not going to put you up there hurt. And, you know, and then he's like, you know, you think I don't like you cause I won't put you on the stage. And then different people join the conversation it's like you know check your heart about the stage and then I have the pastor and someone else telling me like you know testify on social media and I'm like this is like you just at the time you just can't imagine I'm so confused I'm like but it's very black and white why are people from a church pushing me to talk on social media and not allowing me to tell what Jesus did in the church because don't you think the church needs to hear that Jesus heals cancer yeah, usually it's the other way around. Everybody wants you in the church, talking, serving in church. Let's get people back in church. And it seems like they just wanted the complete opposite, which is not something you typically hear of church people. It just made no sense because, you know, they had the same time. I think it was like maybe the next week after the wrist, I was there in person. They had shared about the wrist again, and they shared one of my friend's testimonies at the time, but they shared it very discreetly about how the Lord had healed her or something and hers was you know supernatural something was there and then it wasn't it was gone and that's a miracle sure um but they shared that without her permission because it was on social media and so her and I are friends and we're talking about it she wasn't even there to hear her business being shared and then when I'm questioning the same pastor he's like oh well she put that on social media and I'm like but you follow me on social media and I've been sharing everything as well so it just things were not adding up but it's no. like, there was always an excuse. And so again, I'm asking questions. I'm just getting pushed back and I'm extremely confused. At the time I didn't have anything to testify about, I'd never asked to speak on anything in six years of being there until I felt like the Lord had called me to share. Did you have any other meetings to kind of just further talk about the issue? Yes. Yeah, so of course, there's meetings here and there. And I remember even after the call on Halloween, it's November 1st, I'm there. And um, he told me to come and see him. And so I went to see him in the back hallway near his office. And I, I said to him, you know, we hugged kind of like a kumbaya moment, but things were not good at all. And um, I said, you can't see how a grieving woman would be confused at seeing her church celebrate another miracle, and then not celebrating hers. And I said, you know, God is not the author of confusion. And he literally didn't say a word. He said nothing. And so I would- Oh, wow. Uh, a pastor yeah. with no words? What's I told that? You. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, he just ignored me. And then that week, because this is the first week of November, um, 
he was going on sabbatical. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna meet with him one more time. And prior to even that risk being killed, I had wanted to quit. But he was like, I don't think you're making a good decision. You know, you're you're on medicine and just trying to use against me my trauma, basically, for why I need to stay. But had I left, none of this would even have hurt me. Yeah. So he said, Oh, you're you're on medicine. You're 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 not thinking straight. That's, that's basically gaslighting mm-hmm. if I've ever heard it. Okay. <laughs> and it was it was smooth. <laughs> Um, because again, at the time I'm confused and I'm processing a lot and I'm wanting to listen and I'm wanting to submit. And, you know, he's like, trust me. And just all these things like, and I would tell him in the meetings, like, you know, there's timidity and fear concerning like males and uh, leadership roles, you know, just because of my own trauma and experiences from my past. And so just all that was just completely ignored. And all that is being triggered in me in the midst of everything that I had gone through physically in my health. Oh, wow. And so I know that like your community, like was the church was the people that you worshiped with were the people that were the other missionaries or that you worked with. How did the relationships with them change as this progressed over time? Well, let me tell you, we had, I had one last meeting with him and he was going on sabbatical. Um, and so in that meeting, I pretty much, the Lord had just emboldened me as time went on, as I continued to meet with him. You know, I just said it was God that it was you because I believe that God used this to expose some things that maybe he didn't, you know, some ways that he didn't realize he was operating in. Only, of course, I wasn't being listened to and I didn't have the full revelation at the time, but I had that last meeting and he felt like I was just saying the same thing over and over. Like you're saying the same thing, da, 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 just completely ignoring me. Um, ignoring his actions, how they were hurtful. He had repented here and there, but um, it didn't feel genuine because clearly his actions, you know what I mean? It's just like, he's like, oh, I hurt you in some way and I don't know how. And I, you know, I repent, but I'm like, I just kind of sat with it, but it didn't feel like there was actual repentance and compassion because it felt like everything was just like a battle. So that last time I met with him had to be like November 4th and I uh, just went home and was like, I'm coming off staff. And he's like, we still come around. I'm like, I don't know. And then I did it. I just kind of left all together. But even when that wrist was healed, I had friends who were on staff that were like, every time they mention a miracle, I think of you, you know? So people were kind of thinking what I was thinking. And, you know, one of his staff members that was a friend at, a, at the time, she had told me, you know, you got a personal miracle, not a corporate miracle. And I'm like, I've never heard of that. You know, just all these things were added, just added confusion. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, who knew there was just layers upon layers to just receiving a miracle. And so to get back to your point about relationships, you know, some of my friends held on as long as they could, but I, but as time went on, I just, I just had to mull over this and think about it and feel it. And it was painful. Um, And it was just, all of it is just very grievous and very shocking, very unimaginable to be silenced, you know, in an environment that's like, God can, you know, do revival through the African-American community to be a black woman. I never played the black card. I I never begged to, to speak. Um, 
but just all these things that sounded good and then when you're in the position to like walk it out it's like oh you're not walking this out like you just don't expect that um I just feel like again like you said with cancer who is gonna not want to hear the story and instantaneous is is powerful and the Lord uses that but it's like why ask for miracles if then you're going to question how the Lord does them or feel like you you only have a say in what they look like when he's up on the podium or when he was up on the podium you know you know preaching did he have the same like energy that he gave you when you had those like personal meetings Oh no, he was a completely different man. It was then I realized I don't even like you. Like in my mind, I'm like, I don't even like this man. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel heard. I didn't, I didn't feel Jesus. I felt control, intimidation, manipulation, fear, anxiety, worry, tons of accusation. Like how am I being accused of wanting to like build a name for myself when I've never wanted to speak? Like I'm like... I don't just do, I don't have a podcast. Like I don't, you know, I'm not on YouTube. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Instagram. Yeah. So everything I was accused of is opposite of my nature. But I took those things on as like, why would God give me this testimony and then say, shut up? Exactly. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, you had been in that church community for a point of time. So he should have known six years, six years, what your nature was and how to feel for your intentions. Yeah. And it's like, even if my intentions were bad, the Lord still could have been glorified through my testimony, but I shouldn't have had to communicate that this is not my intent. It shouldn't have even, I shouldn't even have to say like, I'm not somebody who asked for a microphone. I shouldn't even have to say that. Exactly. Why, why am I having to defend myself? You know, mm-hmm. but this is not about me. This is about the Lord being glorified through healing me of cancer, losing my womb. And in spite of, I'm still filled with faith. And that's not a testimony you hear on Sundays. Yeah. And it also goes to show too, when you were saying, you know, when I was in this person's presence and when I was going through this, I was feeling anxiety. I was feeling manipulation. I was feeling all these really negative emotions and all of the things that you were feeling are things that we don't feel of God. All of those emotions are like from the enemy, you know? And when you go to church it's not supposed to be happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. I mean, if you're, if you're leaving church and you're feeling like feel good all the time, I think that should be a red flag. Sometimes we go to church and we feel conviction, but there's a difference between feeling conviction and then feeling shame, misery, manipulation, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And I think knowing the difference between those two sets of emotions should tell somebody if they're in the right church community or not, or if that church has the right head head on its shoulders. Well, yeah, I think for me, you know, over six years, I kind of come into this knowing of who I am as a woman of God. And just as someone who had been through a lot of trials before, 
you know, I believe there's a time where God will allow us to shine for him. And I mean, I have the verse right in front of me. You are a light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's Matthew 5, 14. And so I realize, you know, even looking back today, it's like none of that stuff is being spoken from the platform there. And so I think a lot of times, again, God can use African-Americans to bring revival and, you know, them being in support of women speaking. And then I was in a direct situation that revealed this is actually not the case. And instead of them listening and taking accountability for the environment that they're creating, but the damages that are indirect result of that, that's crazy. I think the same thing too i think the church needs accountability you know it, it has a responsibility as a church and as a congregation of believers to uphold the word of god and when you have that type of responsibility you have to have accountability and if that's not there i mean then you really got to look <laughs> they have to look inward at themselves as an organization, or at least at the leadership level and go, okay, what the heck are we doing? Well, that's the thing. I didn't know any of what was going on was happening until I was in that hot seat. And so I myself was shocked. You know, I, I thought I was, I was in trouble with the Lord. Like I had did something wrong. Cause I mean, that's, you know, if you've been abused in your past, like you're going to think, you're in trouble or da 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 da. you're stirring the pot and mm-hmm. trauma response mm-hmm. and so I I feel like I will you know I, I'm just shocked when I just think about everything that happened I'm just shocked and I left very hurt and I left confused and feeling like God would never use my testimony and you know I had friends that were very close to me who kind of you know, they would listen. But at the end of the day, no friend really had my back where they were willing to pull anybody aside and say anything. Nobody had my back in that way. If I'm being honest, yes, I had friends and they're, you know, they're good and they supported me and listened to me. But there are people, you know, at the end of the day, I had to part ways with so many of them because you're still there supporting that environment, supporting that man. And, um, you know, I had friends tell me you're entitled. Um, and it's all the accusations. I got more accusations than I've ever received in my life. And I didn't hear anybody say a thing about him. You know, nobody wanted had the courage to write an email. I mean, that was a battle I was fighting on my own. And, and to this day, I had reached back out numerous occasions wanting to speak up. And I did, uh, last November. And we had a conversation, I want to say in December on FaceTime, I had a a conversation with this pastor. He was out of the country and he was on sabbatical for nine months. So this is about 10 months later of speaking to him. I hadn't spoken to him in a long time. And, you know, I reached out to him in February of last year and I had apologized and like repented, but I told him, you know, it felt like you were taking my voice from me even if that's not where you were doing, the Lord had given me something to say and it felt like you were trying to take that from me. And I text that to him during his sabbatical and he never responded. And that was Valentine's day. 
of 2022. And so I ended up speaking to him um, in November, like, hey, did you get my message? He's like, no. And so again, benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I'm like, maybe he had his phone off the whole time. I don't know, but it said it was delivered. <laughs> um, but all that to say, we talked on FaceTime in December and I'm here I'm thinking he's on sabbatical. He's not working at that church during that time. Surely the Lord will bring it back around. And no, I realized I was talking to the same man. He had the same attitude. He was still intimidating and rude and insensitive. He literally told me I wouldn't do anything different. After that conversation, you know, even on FaceTime, I cried with him and that feels embarrassing because you break all the way down and it doesn't mean anything to the person. They kind of almost, it's like this, this complex of like, you feel good that I broke down now. Um, and now you're going to try to console me and say, I wish you're a part of it. You know, you should be a part of a church and all this stuff. But, um, you know, he, you know, it's, again, it's kind of like the halfway repenting. Um, but at the end of the day, he's like, I wouldn't do anything different. And I think that is just shocking because again, he was not willing to see the damages that he caused in our last meeting. I forgot to tell you all this November 4th in that meeting when I'm like, it's God that it was you. He told me with all my questions, because it felt like he was just trying to make it seem like I was sounding crazy. But in the mm. end, he was like, you didn't get a biblical healing. And he came out of first Corinthians 12, the gifts. Now, the miracles they were putting on display, if you look at the gifts, if you have the gift of healing, you can pray for someone through the power of God, they can be healed. And so that didn't happen for me. So without fully explaining what he believed I got, that's why he didn't believe I got a biblical healing, because no one could take credit for it. No one laid their hands on me. Mm. The Lord used doctors. And so that pretty much is what I realized was going on. And I told him on FaceTime, you know, a miracle is a miracle. He just looked at me. Um, wow. and I said, you know, you so should, he be wanted to take credit. He wanted to take credit for your healing. And since he didn't have a direct involvement in that, it was like, well, I didn't lay my hands on you. So you're not, you're not biblically healed. The only credit that I will give, I don't even give credit to my doctors. You know, my doctors are, they're instrumental, but like I told mm -hmm. you, a surgeon was like, I was thinking about you for three days and my cancer doctor, he never even gave me a look at chemo. He don't even, he just was like, get the blood work. I go see him and he doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I don't take medication for menopause. But yeah, I don't, I never was out here giving credit to my doctor. I mean, I blessed them. I honor them. I, it made me think about surgeons in a different way. Their hands are anointed and they are instrumental, mm -hmm. um, whether beautiful. they're saved or not. But mm -hmm. praise God when they are, because that's just something you don't see today. But I've always been gl giving glory and honor to God. I would not be here without God. He led me through the ovary going crazy to losing my womb and just to even now. I'll say this, be careful what you ask God for. Don't beg God for miracles if you're going to use your same mouth to come against those miracles. 100%. And also the fact that we shouldn't be be taking credit for for God's work because regardless if somebody laid hands on you or not, it's not them. It's not their hands, right? It's not their body. It's not their soul. It has nothing to do with them, and it has everything to do with God. So we shouldn't be taking credit or want to have credit at all 
for the things that he is doing. I definitely think with, with the church, when the church is taking credit for things God's doing, that's a red flag that that shouldn't be the church for you too. And you see that a lot um, with dif- different churches, especially in the United States. And, you know, not to, not to come on here and, and bash churches because, you know, I go to a wonderful church and we have a wonderful pastor and lots of people go to wonderful churches with wonderful leaders, but there's a lot of good churches. And then there's also just as many ones that aren't truly walking with Jesus and mm-hmm. leading their congregation with Jesus at the forefront. It's them at the forefront. And that's when we have to check our heart posture. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The The funny thing is everything I was being accused of is literally how they operate. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't take any credit for my miracle. Therefore, you can't speak. I'm not getting credit from saying the Lord spared my life and healed me. And, and you know, I lost my womb and in spite of my life is forever changed because of the Lord, because the Lord did this. You know, the Lord heard my cry four years ago mm-hmm. when that fibroid appeared. I thought he wasn't going to fix it. <laughs> I was mad after I lost that over it. I'm like, you left this big old thing in here. What was the point of all that? That was stupid. Exactly. Not yeah. Knowing, not knowing he had the right doctor in place for me. I don't even know that that church realizes how they're operating. They don't. They either it's a willful ignorance or they're just blind. Mm-hmm. And so there is no getting through to that leadership. Um, and it's very unfortunate because of course I, I thought it would be a great testimony to be like, I worked this out with the church. Yeah, no, <laughs> of that's, course. That's not the case today. Um, to this day, I mean, even as a recent, the Lord had me reach back out um, because a lot of it, it's not just about him. It's also about me and my heart and saying what needed to be said because there mm-hmm. was a lot of fear and anxiety, but I got to that place where I could say exactly what happened, you know, with as much grace as I could. Um, and I've repented where I've needed to, but yeah, just, just, <laughs> I'm just sad to say that it couldn't be worked out. Um, you know, he was unwilling to see and even people around him who work with him, I feel like he's just heavily protected and untouchable in a sense. That's what it seems like. That's really sad. And that's really, really disappointing to hear. And it just, it just feels like God removed the church, removed that community, removed you from that, that leader within the church for a reason. And he pruned you mm-hmm. because he's, he sees all, obviously he's on the present. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah. Thank God for that. <laughs> um, but he saw those intentions that maybe others didn't see and revealed that to you. And mm-hmm. also like with, with your community and, and with those friends that you had, that you felt like they kind of turned on you, you know, God always hears conversations we don't. Mm-hmm. And he clearly orchestrated everything that happened to protect you, truly protect you, not like what the health pastor wanted, wanted to protect <laughs> you, but to protect you and to put you in the right position that, you know, you can move on forward. And unfortunately it wasn't, it wasn't with that church. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't share because if I was only able to share with someone being able to take credit, then it's not worth sharing anyways, because this is my story and it's the Lord's story. 
and he's he's gonna share it I mean I'm sharing it right now you even reaching out was like wow you know because for so long I was so down so downcast Mm -hmm. I was really you know I was grieving I lost friends community people I respected and honored and just so much it felt like a train just it was like a triple whammy the ovary the womb and then the church community yeah all at the same time. And so nothing, I didn't feel prepared for that. Like, I didn't expect all this, Lord, if I knew it was going to be all this, why, you know, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I wish I didn't go through it. But at the same time, I'm still standing and, you know, the Lord is going to tell this story. This is his story. He didn't do all of that to be like, you'll never speak about it again. Exactly. And praise God that that situation I went through with the church did did not destroy me Mm -hmm. as it was intended. And, you know, if God wants us to speak on something, like he, he makes it, he makes it pretty clear. And the fact that like, you just had kept coming back to, I'm not going to be silenced. I'm not going to be silenced. I'm meant to talk about this just goes to show that that was his plan for you. And that has been his plan for you. Over the two years, cause it's been two years and man, I'm just so glad I'm, I'm, you know, just even speaking about it now. Because initially when I wanted to testify, I didn't know I was going to go through all of that. And so this has totally like, I'm not saying it, this, this does not take away God's glory from healing me of cancer. Like I'm cancer free and that is the testimony, but also because this happened through the church, of course, God's going to use it as a talking piece so that, you know, my prayer is this never happens to anyone else. Like your healing does not need to be prostituted to say that a move of God is happening that's not really happening like God is kind and he wants us to be made whole and healed and he will do it how he chooses and nobody is going to get a say in that no man no woman period (laughs) (laughs) drop mic period (laughs) (laughs) all of this is just so good and just so many different lessons and different connecting points in your story other people are going to be able to, to connect with. And I mean, as I talked about in in my first, in my first episode, there's been so many people who have been hurt by the church and in various different capacities, and they probably don't look like your story, but all of those other people who have been hurt by the church, they do have their story. And I think it goes to show, you know, a lot of people who have been hurt, they just like leave their faith altogether. They leave church altogether. And they said, I ain't doing this again. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) we tried it out and this ain't for me, but you've still stayed so strong in your, in your faith. And you haven't, I know at at points you had shared, you know, I've really felt the lows and the lows or the valleys, Mm -hmm. but you really haven't wavered from saying I'm here by the grace of God. And I think that just goes to show how strong God has made you and how strong of a faith you have. And I think that that's admirable. And honestly, it's, it's only God, because I'll tell you, I've seen, I mean, I'm in menopause, early menopause at that. And so I have experienced a depression I've never thought I would see. And just so many changes in my body and lose, like I said, not having a womb at my age where my friends are having babies. That's hard. Um, And not feeling like I have a good support outside of the church environment that I was at. It's all been difficult. It's all been painful. It's, it's felt like at times I felt like the Lord had abandoned me and you let all that happen. And then you just left me. And then what about the story? And, and what about, you know, 
been so worried, I had been worried about my future. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I will say, I didn't know that after all of that, I was going to go into the wilderness, but the wilderness, it's been excruciating. But like I said, now I'm coming out and I'm on the other side and I see so much growth. And as a Christian, I mean, pain sounds scary. You know, we have a savior, but that doesn't mean we won't experience pain. And I'm just so, I mean, I'm a walking miracle. There's nothing special about me. I've grabbed myself to sleep so many nights. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to talk about this ever. I can't believe this, but, but God is worthy, you know, of our suffering, of our pain. And if my story can help someone else, whether it's the issue of blood, an issue in a church, you know, I always just want to point people to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like the Lord is in that story, <laughs> no matter how crazy or painful it is or how bad it looks. And Though, you know, I've, I've prayed and I'm like, I believe in redemption. Like I've already been redeemed and there's more to see. Um, I'm, I went from being about to die to not. And so mm-hmm. I've been revived, but I've also felt such a low and yet the hand of God carrying me through what I didn't know I was going to walk through after the fact, after something so good and yet devastating. It's, it's a movie, literally I'm living a movie. And so, (laughs) um, I, I know that God redeems and he's going to redeem my story. And it's not about me becoming a mother or some famous speaker. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Lord is just good and he can redeem any story. And so that's just where, that's just what's kept me. You know, I tell myself every day you're going to make it and every day I am making it because of the hand of God on my life. He's faithful to me. You know, he did all of that. And so it would be, it wouldn't be like God to just forget me. Like he's not going to forget me after delivering me from death. And so I'm grateful. This has changed me in ways that I never thought I could be changed. And though it's painful, I wouldn't, you know, if my testimony worked in my favor, I wouldn't be the woman that I am today. And so the Lord worked it for my good. And that's how I'm choosing to see it, though it's painful. It's been good. I love that. That just because, you know, in the Bible, it says, you know, everything that God does, like what you said earlier, it's good. It's good. At the end of the day, it's good. And, you know, even though like what you described, you know, I had this miracle, I was healed, you know, I'm happy. I feel, I feel on top of the mountain and my story makes me feel on top of the mountain, but I still have those low valleys and being a Christian isn't about being happy all the time. Your life isn't all of a sudden healed and everything works out for you and you get, you just get everything that you want and everything that you think that you need because you're, you're a Christian. We still go through really, really low valleys, just like anybody else. But the only difference is, is that we got the Lord and he's good and he's leading us just like what you said. Yes. You know, and, and an easy way to dismantle the idea that the Christian life is easy is in Matthew, the narrow road is difficult, but it's the mm-hmm. only one that leads to life. It's hard out here. Um, I'm, I'm One thing I'm going to do, and maybe people won't like me for this, but I'm going to tell the truth. Following Jesus is hard and nothing about it is easy. 
and the Bible informs us that it won't be. So sure, we'll be shocked and surprised, but because you're going through something difficult doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. Truly, Annalise, I really want to thank you for sharing your story today, for touching others. Again, there's just so many different things that you talked about today that people could relate with, or maybe they have a aha moment, if you will, and kind Mm -hmm. of maybe understand something that they're going through more. But just thank you for touching other people and for speaking about something that's really vulnerable and for really personal to you. I know that that can be really hard and that can be really scary, but thank you for, you know, stepping out in faith and, and talking about your faith today. I, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for reaching out to me on Instagram that day. Um, (laughs) You know, just even this moment of sharing what I thought the enemy had stolen which felt like he had stole my testimony, the way that I was silenced and just how everything happened. But again, this is even a moment of redemption. And so thank you for having compassion and just understanding and meeting me where I'm at and making space for me to share and speak. And may the Lord be glorified to (laughs) everyone who hears this. And if you have the issue of blood, I pray that you would know the Lord can heal you he will heal you and it's it's not too hard for him and that that shame you carry as a woman with the issue of blood it's not yours it's the lord's and speaking of beautiful you have a beautiful poetry book (laughs) and if people if people wanted to purchase that and they wanted to read that where can they find that my poetry book is on amazon and it's called to the woman who and it's pretty intense it's kind of like my life story in poems and just addressing different women that I've been in different seasons of my life. And so it's intense, but you read it, you'll find yourself in the poems. It'll be encouraging. Check that out on Amazon. And if people want to follow you, if they want to stay connected to you, to to what you're doing, to your story, to what you share or come up with in the future, where can they find you? You can find me at Annalise Denae on Instagram. And also I have another Instagram page called made for community. So if you follow that page and see what I'm launching soon, join me, join my community of Christian women. (laughs) So this podcast, you're going to be hearing this next Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, Another podcast, again, this podcast is released on a monthly basis, at least right now. So after the podcast for July, then the following episode will be released on Friday, August 25th at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as we close out, as always, thanks for being here. If you want to explore your faith here, you are welcome. Jesus will always welcome you home and so will I. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being here. You can listen to the Through Every Season podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Feel free to follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram, and the handles are mentioned in the description of the podcast. Welcome to my family. Thanks for being here.